You're listening to the Live, Love, Engage podcast. On today's show, exploring some myths about adoption. Stay tuned. I am Gloria Grace Rand, founder of The Love Method and author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Live, Love, Engage, how to stop doubting yourself and start being yourself. In this podcast, we share practical advice from a spiritual perspective on how to live fully, love deeply, and engage authentically so you can create a life and business with more impact, influence, and income. Welcome to Live, Love, Engage. Namaste. I am so glad to be joining you on this lovely day that I'm recording it. It's a, and I've got a lovely guest on the show today who I am looking forward to having a discussion with. And I'm going to tell you all about her and so that you can get to know why I'm excited to have her on. Her name is Mickey Shepard, and she is a U.S. Air Force veteran. And her career has also included things like speaking, real estate, and marketing. And But why she's really here today is to talk about her book. She is the author of In a Heartbeat, The Miracle of a Family That Was Meant to Be, and is a true story spanning several generations of families born out of love. And she also now hosts Adoption as a Choice radio show and podcast. So I want to now officially welcome you, Mickey, to Live, Love, Engage. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Excited to be able to share the story. Yeah. Well, the podcast is about living fully, loving deeply, and engaging authentically. And when we connected, it was like, oh, yeah, that fits right in. I mean, even though I gear this towards women entrepreneurs, but women entrepreneurs also tend to be part of families are raising families. And, and so I said, yeah, let's have you on to talk about this. So I thought we'd start off by uh, having you share a little bit about what your journey, but what in particular, what prompted you to write your book? Um, thank you. It was a couple of things. For many years, I wanted to write a book about how it didn't take biology to create a family. And that was because of my dad. My dad was wonderful, but he didn't come into our lives until I was 12. And being a 12-year-old, I wasn't thrilled to have him there, but he worked at it and he was determined to win me over. And uh, I always tell people that life used to be simpler than we all know now. I mean, back then, after he did win me over, I actually wrote to the Board of Education in New York to tell them I wanted to change my name to Shepard. And they did it. (laughs) That wouldn't happen today. But it was my Father's Day gift to him. And then fast forward along the way, my grandmother had lost her husband. My grandfather that became a grandfather, he had lost his wife, but they were brothers. So the two of them decided they would get married. That way all the cousins became brothers and sisters. So this whole thing's been going on in my life, whether I thought about it or not. My mother was always taking in foster children. She actually brought in one person who was Chad Holmes. He was my brother, but he came into our lives at a very young age. He was 12 when he came into our lives and he just never left. And and before you knew it, I came home on a visit and I'm asking my mother, who is this boy running around the house? And she said, oh, I forgot to tell you, that's your new brother. (laughs) How'd you do that? I was gone for a few months and you hatched a 13 year old because now he was 13. 
so it was always there. And, but the story hadn't happened yet. I hadn't written it. And so let's fast forward. I left the Air Force, lived in Colorado Springs, uh, married my current husband, who will be married almost 40 years in uh, 2023. And we wanted to have a baby. And it just wasn't happening. But I was very involved in real estate. And so what I always tell people, because I think they, well, they get a kick out of it, but it's a true story. My son was literally a real estate referral. <laughs> we, okay. we had done everything to try to have a baby, including a very nice trip to Hawaii that didn't produce a baby, but, you know, we had a good time. <laughs> but I'll go back a little bit for you. Um, so because I was so involved in real estate, I was president of the Board of Realtors and Governor of Women's Council of Realtors, blah, 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 a lot of a lot of stuff. But it meant I went to a lot of meetings. So one year I was in San Antonio. And a friend of mine who had lived in Utah, but she was now living in San Antonio where the meetings were. And she said, you know, San Antonio has changed a lot since you were in the Air Force. You know, we don't have any meetings for the next couple of hours. Why don't we take the trolley car ride so you can see how the town has changed? I said, okay. So we got on the trolley car and we're going around the town. They're pointing out sites. And we got off the trolley car and she came over to me and she said, have you and Tom ever thought about adopting? I said, what brought that on? And she said, Mickey, every baby we've passed for the last hour and a half, your head is like olive oil, you know, just looking at the baby. And so I said, you know, we've talked about it. And she said, well, let me ask you another question. Would you, if you could? And I said, in a heartbeat. And that that conversation took place in February 1988. Hmm. And that was the end of it for me. I mean, we just continued on with our lives. And, and then uh, two years later, April 4th, 1990, I was at another meeting in uh, Denver and my husband called me in my room and he said, why are you in your room? You're never in your room at meetings. And I said, my feet hurt. And I just thought I'd come in here for a little bit and sit down. I said, why are you calling me if you know I'm not here? No cell phones. I mean, the audience realized it wasn't like you'd call somebody then. And uh, he said, we just got the strangest call. He said, who's Carol Thompson? And I said, she's my women's council friend, you know, the one that lived in Utah, she now lives in Texas. And and he said, well, she has a friend who has a friend who decided this morning she wants to place her baby for adoption and wants to know if we want him. Wow. What? <laughs> and I said, what did you say? He said, I'm, I said, I'm sure we do. I'll have my wife call you. And I did. And I called, talked to the friend of the friend who explained to me that, that that Carol had told her about us for years and that if there ever was a situation to keep us in mind. And I said, my God. And uh, and she said, so I'll let you talk to her because I didn't know what to do. You know, uh, and I did. And she was she was not a baby herself. She was 31. And she had a daughter who had MS. She was in a very bad relationship. She it was not his baby. Mm. And she just knew. She said, she said, I planned an abortion. And then I started bleeding. And I thought I lost the baby. And it's very typical in people in unplanned pregnancies, not a big support system around them. Sometimes they just they don't go to doctors. Yeah. And she said, and then she realized she was definitely pregnant. And decided that this was it. She said, but I went to the service this morning and they told me they want to put the baby in a foster home for six months. And I don't want to do that. I want him to start out his life with you. 
from day one. So I said, okay, stay calm. I don't know how, but we will, we'll make it all work. And then there was a, since I was there in real estate business, our, our board attorney was there. And he had told me years before that if you guys ever do think about doing that, call me. I don't do adoptions, but I have a very good friend who does. So I went and found him. Turns out his friend is the person who later on introduced the baby Jessica law. Oh. That became law because it was so many bad news stories. And that, that kind of brings me back to why did I write the book? But I wrote the book because when we adopted, nobody talked about it back then. It was just mm-hmm. something. And boy, did we find out fast that how many people were adopted that we knew or had adopted. Mm-hmm. And they just never talked about it. And then we come along, we think it's the greatest thing in the world and we're telling the world. So we also had to do something silly. It may seem silly, but the real estate market then was very much like it was in 2008. It wasn't there. <laughs> and um, So we were, we were struggling and adoptions are very expensive. And so when we met with the attorney and he told us what it was going to cost and, and uh, he'd work it out with us, we decided to come up with something. My husband had just read Robert Schuller's book, The Glass Cathedral. And in it, he had talked about how he raised the money for that cathedral. And he said it cost $5 million. He knew he could ask one person for $5 million or five people for a million. Or, And so we came up with the, well, my husband came up with it, the idea of a baby promissory note. Oh. And we had a thousand of them printed. We were send, going to send them out to everybody we could think of. And just because of networking, kind of knew a lot of people. We didn't get to ever send them all out, but we sent enough out. And that people's, what we asked was for five dollars. Hmm. That if everybody sent us five dollars, when we returned their money, we would send them a picture of the baby. Everybody who sent us money sent it marked paid. You know, it it was pretty exciting. And then I had, like I said, I was very involved with women's council, and I had another meeting coming up in April of that year, and the baby wasn't due till May tenth. The plan was to bring her to Colorado. Colorado has had the best adoption laws in the country at the time. She lived in Minnesota, which has the worst adoption laws at the time. And they didn't recognize independent adoptions, which now is just commonplace. But back then it wasn't. Right. So I flew to D.C. I Everybody in, in my world kind of knew what was happening. And they said, why don't you announce it at the meeting tonight? And maybe we can raise the retainer. Mm-hmm. And we did. Um, so I did. I got up and talked about the greatest referral in the world. And as it turns out, also the most expensive. But that's when you get a baby instead of a referral for a buyer. And much welcomed. So we, I made that announcement that night. And people just, they were wonderful. And, and we did raise the money. And just for the retainer. I mean, we, we paid for the whole thing eventually. But just to get it started. And then the very next morning, my husband called and he said that Sharon, who was the birth mother, um, had just called and her water broke. Uh-oh. And she's not supposed to be having a baby today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's April 24th, it's not, not May 10th. And he said, she wants to get on a plane. I said, no, tell her no, no, no. no. Yeah. I said, no, get me on a plane Yeah. and I'll get to Minnesota. And um, my husband's sister knew a travel agent at the time and we knew we could get things going quickly. Mm-hmm. So he did. So she went to the hospital and um, when I finally got there, cause I, I had the pony express 
of planes. Plane kept stopping. We had to go someplace else. I had a porter rushing through the airport with me to try to get my luggage there fast enough. And he said, you have to tell me how you're doing this. Because all I said was I'm having a baby. And he says, my wife's had three children. She didn't look like this. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know the baby's not here. The baby's in Minnesota. But it, it was just, there were so many funny things. And I always say that he was working his way toward us. And I found out later that night, I was very right. We got, when I finally got to the hospital, the lady at the reception desk said, have you been calling me from airports all all day? And I said, yes. And she said, calm down. There's no baby yet. And she said, go, go see her, leave your luggage here and do not go out that door again by yourself. Apparently we were in Minneapolis and it wasn't a very safe area. And this particular hospital, the only people that went there were the criminals or they run welfare. Oh man. Okay. So I did go to see her and then she said, you know, it stopped. Labor stopped and they wanted me to go home, but I told them the mother wouldn't know where the baby was. And I said, I said, you guys, you know, we're confusing everybody in the world, the way we talk, you know? And, and she said, I know. And she said, but why don't you just go home and change? Let Tom know you got here safely and then come back. So I did. I met the lady downstairs and she told me how we'll, the hotel you're staying at will shuttle you anywhere you want to go. Do not walk on the streets out there by yourself. It's really dangerous. Okay. So I did, did all that, came back to, to the hospital and all of a sudden labor started. And she said, I know I promised, but I really want some, I want something for the pain because we had talked about all this. Yeah. I said, okay. So the doctor comes in and he says to Sharon, no, you don't, you know, women do this all the time. Gloria, I, I, <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, you, outside. And we went outside and I said, you do not go in that room again, ever. And he said, who the hell are you? And I said, I'm the mother. And this is a miracle happening and you're not going to mess it up. And I went over to the nurse's station. I said, there's a woman doctor on the rotation that she's been seeing. I know she's supportive. Can you please call her? And they did. She was there in minutes. She lived mm-hmm. very, very close. And she was so grateful to have been called because she did support this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And she did help. And so so all of a sudden, we're having a baby. And we're in the delivery room. And we're referring to him as CJ. And the doctor says, what does that stand for? And uh, Cameron Joel. And she says, how do you know it's a boy? And I looked at Sharon and I said, how do we know it's a boy? And she said, I had an ultrasound. And the doctor's looking at me going, they're almost always wrong. <laughs> and back then they were. Yeah. Fortunately, this one wasn't. And oh, all of a sudden we had a nice pink baby and they were so wonderful. They they did two sets of footprints, two birth certificates, all these things. So I, I don't know. It, it was just something that just, it kept going. Anyway, what I was going to tell you. See what, see what happens when you ask me about this? I just keep going. Stop <laughs> me if I'm going too long. But while I was in the labor room with her, we were talking without the fact that I took the Lamaze classes, even if she didn't, I wasn't helping us right then. And, and so she started to tell me how this all came about. And this is when the law of attraction, you start knowing it's working, whether you believe it or not, it's out there. She said that she she was gonna she left the guy she's living with, and she went to visit an old friend in Texas. 
after she was there for a while, she decided that she was going to go back and try to make things work. And she said, and I'll never forget the day I left Texas. I said, why? She said, I had to go through Dallas and I got stuck in front of this pink hotel. And she said, and I saw in the paper that Mick Jagger and President Bush, the first President Bush, were both in town at the same time. And that's what was causing the traffic jams and everything. I said, oh, my gosh. And she said, why? I said, that was my hotel. I said, I was there for the national real estate meetings. Oh, and President Bush was there to speak to us. Mick Jagger was in the hotel I was staying in. And, and the Secret Service were on top of the hotel. And that's why you got stopped. Mm -hmm. They had to clear the way and, and get Mick and his people out of there and then get Secret Service handling everything else. And she said, wow, he, he was always working his way toward you. And I said, apparently. Mm -hmm. And... It's amazing that we don't know sometimes the things that are working out there. But leading, we'll go a couple more years. When he was five, I got called. I was, we lived in Colorado Springs at the time. And I got called to write an article. They were doing a Women in the Rockies special Sunday edition. And I had written a lot of real estate things for them over the years. And they called and I said, no. I said, I promised myself I wasn't going to be one of those real estate people that when they left real estate, they came back and told everybody else how they should do it. I just had a thing about that. And she said, honestly, it's another story, but I didn't know how to approach you. And I said, what's the other story? She said, there's a story about a baby. And I said, yeah. And she said, that's the story. Did you want me to write about how my son came into our lives? And she said, yes. So I wrote it. The day came to have photos taken, and my five-year-old blocked the door. And I said, what are you doing? He said, isn't the story about me? <laughs> I said, well, yes, it is. And he said, shouldn't I be in the picture? And I'm going, very logical person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said, well, yes. I said, but you understand, this is going to be all over the state on Sunday. People's parents in your class, I mean, he was in preschool or pre-kindergarten. Um, I read it. Not everybody understands things. And he said, it doesn't matter. I know what adoption means. I said, okay, what does it mean? He said, it means I'm special. Okay, you're in the picture. Um, <laughs> and he was. But we just we just had so many things happen that just made it clear this was all meant to be. Yeah. I, I Just for people who don't know this, though, I want to go back to when he was born. When I told you about the, the services in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. The day after our son was born, they came to see her and she called me at the hotel and said, they came here this morning. They want to take the baby and put him in foster care. And I said, what'd you tell her? And she said, I told him no, or I'll ju I'm just going to keep the baby. And I'm thinking, okay. She said, can you please fix this? <laughs> okay. So I called the attorney, the attorney called another attorney. And then um, I went to see her. The attorney called and he said, Minnesota was one of four states that would not recognize an independent adoption. They would not let the birth mother choose. And I think that's kind of important mm -hmm. if it's possible. It's not always yeah. possible, but if yeah. it is. Yeah. And, and not to mention, she felt like that God had sent her a message after having abortions before and then starting planning on having one this time. She said she took it as a sign that this was a chance for her to do something good with her life. And she was determined. I mean, she never wavered at all, which I love her right. for. But, but so my attorney calls me back and he said, okay, don't talk, just listen. And I'll tell you a story. I said, okay, fine. 
He said, do you understand client relationship? You're my client. I said, yes. He said, okay, if you called me to tell me you were going to rob a liquor store, I'd have to turn you into the court as an officer of the court. Hmm. He said, but if you called me and told me you robbed a liquor store, that's privileged information between me and my client and I can help. He said, do you get the picture? Got it. <laughs> I, think, I think I do. <laughs> and then he found a loophole because he had contacted an attorney to represent her there. And, and he said, there's a little known law, you know, any city, I don't care where you live, any city, if you look hard enough, there's always these old laws from when it was the wild west or something. And, and there's an old law in Minnesota that says a mother or a father can choose anyone they want to babysit their child for up to 30 days. Mm. It didn't say where. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So we got, we, we planned to a Robert Luke store. I got ready. I called the hotel and uh, in the morning I said, okay, you know, um, I need the shuttle to take me to the hospital to pick up the baby and the birth mother. Cause they knew what was going on by now. Everybody knew yeah. what was going on. They were all kind of, I guess they all felt like they were part of it. <laughs> and I said, but then when I get back, I need a cab. And he right. said, no, nope, there's no cabs available here. That there's no cabs. He said, not today. We've already arranged for your transportation to the airport. We got you a limo. I said, no, no, no. I was at a realtor meeting for seven days before I got here. I have no more money <laughs> for a limo. And he said, it doesn't, we're doing this. We want the baby go to the, to go to the airport yeah. style with you. But, I mean, these people were wonderful. They took me shopping for clothes and a blanket. And so we did. We did that. And I had her write a letter saying that Nikki Shepard and Tom can um, babysit my child for up to 30 days in Colorado Springs. <laughs> um, and so we were driving in the limo. I'm crying the whole time. I, I think I spent two days crying while I was with her. And we're driving along and, and she said, you need to stop crying before you get to the airport where somebody's going to think you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And I said, I just don't know how to say thank you. <laughs> how do I say thank you? And, you know, we, we hugged, we dropped her off. She had never been in a limo in her life. So it was a nice experience for her too. Mm -hmm. But when she saw him, the one he was born, I skip around. What she did was they, the, they wrapped the baby and brought him over and they're going, who do we give him to? And all I could think of is if she's going to change her mind, let her do it now. Yeah. Don't yeah. break my heart. So I said, give him to Sharon. So she held him and she said, hi, CJ. Welcome to the world. I want you to meet your mom. And she handed him to me. And that, that's it. So, so all these years later, I finally, finally, for years, I tell people this story, parts of it, like I've told you, and and they kept saying, you need to write a book. And I agreed, and, and I wanted it to be a good news story. I wanted people to know that there are real people out there and that really good things can happen and not to give up. Yeah. Because we had never applied for adoption prior to having the baby in our hearts, in our home. Mm -hmm. And even the the woman who wound up doing the home study, which is something like we've talked about for years, if everybody who's about to have a baby or about to be a parent did a home study, it would help people so much. You're, you're asked questions you never even think of considering, yeah. and you're asked them separately. Mm -hmm. You can't confer, you know? Yeah. 
And when we got, when we, the adoption was final, we get to the courthouse. They actually lock the door when you adopt. So they want to make, they want to make sure nothing bad happens while you were there. Yeah. This woman got up on that, on the witness stand and told the judge that in all of her years doing this for a living, she had never said these words. And what she said was, this was a family that was meant to be. So we got outside the courtroom and I went over to her and I said, thank you. You know, and I, I said, did you mean what you said in there? And she said, I was under oath. Of course I meant it. <laughs> she, she said, why? It, because the next time a 37-year-old woman calls you and asks about adopting, you might want to remember today. Mm -hmm. she said, did you call me? I said, yeah. I called you a year ago and you told me the chances were slim to none and not to even try. Mm. I'm sure glad I didn't listen to you, but you know, yeah. but I thought she should know. And she, she, she was so respectful about it. She just said, I can't believe I said that. And you're right. I'll never say it again. So there's so many myths around it all. People, people, I've talked to people, obviously since the book came out yeah. who their perception of things is probably what ours was. That, don't, that, well, that's what know. I was going to ask you was, was, you know, what are some of like, what's the most, maybe most common myth? Or, or I think, I think the, the most scary myth is the perception that people think the waiting period, which is usually six months, mm -hmm. um, is different in every state. And I, we thought so too, that that waiting period is for the birth mother or birth parents to right. change their mind. Yeah. It's not, it's for the adoptive parents. Oh. to change their mind. Oh, okay. The birth parents' rights, depending on the state again, in our case, it, her rights were terminated at, at 14 days. Hmm. And at that, that point, she can't change her mind. And believe me, that everything is done to make sure she knows what she's doing and right. is very sure about it. And, but that was a big one for us. The hmm. other one's the cost. The cost back then to us, we thought it was incredibly expensive. And all we kept saying was, we're going to make it work. We'll make it work. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and, but what's changed back when we adopted, there weren't grants to be had. There weren't tax credits, mm -hmm. which there are now. And there's mm -hmm. so many organizations on, on my show on adoption as a choice. I've had the, the privilege of interviewing so many people this, this past year. Mm -hmm. um, Save the Storks out of Colorado and Life First in Texas and the Dave Thompson Foundation, which is one I, I love to promote because that's Wendy's Wonderful Kids. Mm -hmm. They only, they promote foster adopt mm -hmm. because 50 kids a day age out of the foster system. That's true. Yeah. You know, and it's so yeah. sad. You turn 18, yeah. all of a sudden you don't have a family. Right. You know, where do you go for the holidays and, you yeah. know. But now a lot of organizations have grants that you can apply for okay. and, or they have loans, they have a combination. The also the other thing is that I have a list and anybody can find it on the internet is the top 100 companies who support adoption for their mm -hmm. employees. Oh, okay. And so a lot of them have a certain amount of money that if you adopt while you're working for this particular company, they will pay for it to mm -hmm. a certain extent. They will, they have a lot of things and they're all pretty generous from what I've gone through. And I've gone through a lot of them and they, they give uh, paternity leave to both parents. And um, so there's just so much more there. There is one misconception that I really, I hate to leave without ever addressing because it's important okay. to me. We had friends that 
uh, lived in Colorado, who I hadn't seen in years. We got back together, blah, blah, blah. They had adopted a couple of years before us. And we all wound up in a business that got us moving to Arizona for a couple of years. So we were, we were together a lot. And their son was older and he started getting into a lot of trouble. He was experimenting with drugs and different things. And his mom and dad were at our house one night and I said, why aren't you talking to him about this instead of just telling us about it? And she said, there's nothing we can do. Said, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? <laughs> He's your son. I said, Lindy, you adopted him at birth just like we adopted JT. And this is a family. And she said, no. And she was a nurse by profession. Mm. And she shocked me. And she said, no, it's it's in his DNA, whatever's going to happen. You know, he came to us that way. No, no. <laughs> I said, I he came as a very innocent body. Yes. He was raised by you. Yeah. <laughs> Children learn what they live. So take some responsibility. You need to talk to him about it. But that shocked the heck out of me that anybody could believe that. And I've heard it now more since huh. the book came out, since the show came out. How many people believe that, that, that they come with this inherent badness or goodness? And it's just not true. I, I don't. I don't care whether you adopted or not. If you were a child or you have a child, your your atmosphere is having an impact on your life. And Absolutely. you know. And so, parenting is very important to talk to children about. The other thing I think everybody believes that every child who's adopted wants to find their birth parents, and that's not true. It's only like less than five percent. Hmm. It's not that they they if they can a lot easier now than ever before, of course. Mm. But I know in our case, we made a promise that I would send a letter and pictures once a year mm -hmm. um, until he was eighteen. Yeah, but we, we were going to be able to get through our family, have our family, you know, and not. And but at, when he turned eighteen, we would make the offer and arrange for the meeting if he chose it. And he always knew from the minute you know we told him from the time he was born, but. He always knew. I didn't want one of those weird moments when you're a mom looking over the playground fence, wondering if somebody's looking back at you, you know, I, it, I just wanted it up front. I think it is special and it wasn't something to hide, but that's something that we found out. I mean, we made the offer to our son. He had no interest and you're my parents, you know what I mean? But Eddie always knew. So it wasn't like it was a big surprise. But I've, I've interviewed people on my own show who didn't find out they were adopted till they were in their 50s. Oh, wow. 60s. Oh, my God. That's traumatic. Yeah. Uh, because it, that's a very different that's, situation, yeah. you know? Yeah, and then they start worrying about things. But mm. it just, I'm trying to think there was one other one. I think that's the biggie. But I, I think that's a lot of it. People people are afraid. And, and from people I've met, I did a book signing in our local town library when the book first came out. And it was all um, retired teachers. And there was one woman who came up to me and she said, I'm buying two of your books. And I said, okay, thank you. She said, well, one is for my daughter and her husband. She said, they, they're unable to have a child of their own. She's approached adoption with her husband and he fights it every time because he believes the child comes the way they're going to be mm. and hasn't you know there's no impact so that little story yeah. kind of helped her and she said made sense to her you know when you what if your biological parent 
this baby comes into your life, he didn't come ready to rob someplace or, right. you know, he came with all kinds of possibilities and, yeah. and you can help him. So. Absolutely. So it does do that. And that's that. Um, you indulge me. I, that's why I'm doing the show. <laughs> I actually didn't set out to do that. I set out to write a book and hopefully get it in the hands of every OBGYN clinic in the, in the country and anybody who wanted to have a family or had a family. But that Voice America approached me about it. And they thought it was important. And the timing of starting, I'm sure it was this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been amazing how we've obviously hit a niche. More and more people want to learn about it. And and not to turn political on you, but I keep hearing about a woman's right to choose. And I, I think that's great. But how can you choose if you don't know what all the alternatives are? Mm-hmm. And adoption is a choice. And it can be a beautiful one for both, both birth parents, adoptive parents, it's a much more rewarding situation for everybody concerned because you're creating life. Mm-hmm. And it just, it seems just a good thing to me, but. Well, awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're able to share your story with our audience today. And, and it, and it is, it's a good reminder to people. And especially, I think that the point that you, you honed in on about that it's not necessarily that the DNA that you have inside of you that determines what type of life you have. And I'll share an example from my own family is that my, my brother was in the, he was in the Navy in the seventies and he got a girl pregnant and then uh, they put the baby up for adoption and he wound up, um, you know, he struggled with uh, alcohol and and drugs and, and then was turning his life around and then suddenly died at the age of 33. Mm. And it wasn't actually still even about, it was about another 20 years after my mom died that I even found out that he had a son, that he had given this baby boy up for adoption. And as the universe happens and, 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 and grants us the things that we're looking for, uh, my my sister passed in 2016, and so she was the last person who knew me as a child. And my parents had both passed on. And then right before the pandemic hit, I was che- checking our family tree, Ancestry.com, and there was a message from a young man who wanted to know if um, my, I was actually using my sister's account at the time, if if we were related. And so he described my brother and all of the situation. And I was like, oh my gosh, I found my nephew. Wow. And, and, but that wasn't even the best part. The best part was that he lived an hour away from me and he was born in oh. California, but now lived in Florida. And oh, so wow, Gloria. Got to see each other. And, and so he had just recently had been, you know, looking for birth currencies connected with his birth mother as well, but he had a really great well, he had wound up with an alcoholic dad, stepdad too, or foster dad, or adoptive parent. Um, <laughs> but still, you know, grew up. He's a wonderful man. Is working. Has beautiful family of his own now, and so clearly did not get some of the demons that my brother had. And uh, you know, and it's just fine. And it's and it's wonderful. So, yeah, if you are considering adoption don't do not worry about where the baby comes from just think about how much love you're going to give that baby instead and that's what's going to determine how well they turn out that you have to come on my show now so that we can have that conversation (laughs) um because i've had 
similar things and it's so exciting when mm -hmm. it when it happens there is one last thing that uh it's, it's i don't think it's an adoption myth mm -hmm. i think it's a mom myth mm, okay that or maybe it's first time mom maybe because mm. i only i only have that experience but one of the things we learned early on and i think when cj was old enough to talk basically free willy was a big deal in his mm. life he just really loved it we were watching it for probably the hundredth time. And then all of a sudden he turns to me and he says, do you remember, remember mama? Remember what? I mean, he said, when I was in your belly and I said, no, and, and my husband, the minute he asked this question, my husband starts backing out of the room. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I've always thought what we, what were you thinking I was going to be able to do here? But I think there was divine intervention because the words just came out of my mouth. And I said, no, remember, you weren't in my belly. You were always in my heart. And he said, oh, that's right. And we went back to watching the movie. What I came to learn as questions came up periodically and, you know, be a year here, another year there, a question mm -hmm. just pops out of him. And a friend told me, you're expecting that he wants big answers. And she said, he's her son was two years older. He wasn't adopted, but the questions are still the same. They yeah, still come exactly. up with questions. Right. And as a parent, you just think they want this giant explanation. Yeah. And they don't. They no. don't. They just just relax and tell them the truth and you'll be fine. Yeah. But I thought that was a big deal because I when I've told it to other people, they've related that, yeah, I I wanted to give this big explanation, which I was prepared to do at that moment with Free Willy mm -hmm. and a few times yeah. later in his life. Is that what he wanted? Yeah. It's a quick question. Just mm -hmm. so, but it's fun. Yeah. I think the whole idea of, of any parenting, any family is enjoy it and, and have fun. Absolutely. And so if your listeners are so inclined, I would love them to help us. We're looking to get sponsors and advertisers for adoption as a choice. Oh, and okay. if I can plug it, it's yeah. real easy to find. It's um, you can go to adoption as a choice, all one word dot live okay. and all the 20 shows that we've done are recorded they're on demand at any time and adoption as a choice all one word again dot com is my website okay. we'd love to hear from you if you have a story that relates to this at all any part of it would love to hear from you we're always looking for guests to share real people's stories mm -hmm. we've had great experts but we want it all yeah absolutely. a little bit of everybody well, I will be sure and have that information in the show notes. So if you are listening or, or watching right now, just make sure that you go to live, love, engage podcast.com. And then you'll be able to get, be able to find this episode and then you'll be able to get that information. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story with our listeners and, and viewers today. I really appreciate it, Mickey. Thank um, you. Thanks for having me. I hope they enjoyed it. I, I believe people do. I'm sure they, I'm sure they did. And I want to thank all of you as well for listening and for watching as you do. And I so appreciate it. I'm just really thrilled, frankly, to be doing this and, and grateful for each and every one of you. So until next time, as always, I encourage you to go out and live fully, love deeply and engage authentically. Did you know that a majority of entrepreneurs tend to discount the importance of their work? And a good number feel their success is simply due to luck. 
I know from personal experience that self-doubt can keep you from having the kind of life and business you desire. That's why I've created a free guide called Uniquely You, how to move from self-doubt to self-love in four simple steps. To claim your free guide, go to liveloveengage.gift. That's liveloveengage.gift.